For those of you that uh, weren't able to catch all the announcements, I'm Pastor Evan, and uh, again, as I said, we're in high definition, and I've got this bandit on my face because i got stitches under there. Nothing to worry about, but nothing you want to see either. So uh, as we begin, we're going to be talking about a topic that I actually have come to really enjoy. It's a, a discipline. But let's start with this. 20 years ago, I was working with college students uh, in Colorado. And at the time, I was hiking a lot, you know, one to three times a week. I was backpacking occasionally out in the backcountry. Um, and I really had this dream at some point of backpacking, whether by myself or with somebody else, didn't really matter for the dream, of going out with a fishing pole and only eating what I caught. And that was it. You know, you take all the stuff you need to, to camp and all that, but I'd, I'd catch what I'd eat, and if I didn't catch anything, I didn't eat. Um, that was a dream that I had at the time. I never actually realized it. I'm okay with that at this stage of life. At the time, I was reading, though, a lot of uh, Backpacker magazine, Outside magazine, those kinds of things, because I wanted to know the right gear, and I, was, I really researched it a lot back at that time. And people would do weird things to make their packs lighter, because you always want a light pack when you go in to the backcountry. And they'd trim off the edge of their maps and things like that, which don't really save much, or cut your toothbrush in half, which can help a little bit. Uh, but one of the things that's recommended is just pack less food. People pack too much food. And it pointed out, even if you're out for a week and you pack not quite enough food and you run out of food, what's the worst that's going to happen? You're hungry for a couple of days. You're not going to die. You'll lose a little weight. There's kind of a benefit to that. It's kind of an involuntary fast that happens at that point. And that's the discipline that we're talking about really in this month. We're going to be talking about fasting, and it'll end with some uh, time of prayer at the end of the month. Um, the idea of fasting is foreign to us. And before you get concerned at home, I'm not going to make a challenge today that you would start a fast this week. In fact, that is something I, I will challenge you with at some point to try it in some way, whether food or otherwise. But I'm not going to do that today, so don't just hang with me as we talk about fasting, and as we look at three scriptures that kind of enter us into the territory of what this discipline is all about and has been about for centuries and more. The idea of fasting, though, seems foreign to us. We would get uh, concerned right away. It's not really a practice many of us have, uh, on purpose anyways. But the couple reasons that came to my mind this week of why we don't necessarily like fasting or why we don't practice it is one, we like food. I personally will attest it. I like food. I like food in all of its different flavors. There's very few foods that I don't like. I like them from all over the world. I like to try different kinds of foods. We like it. We enjoy food. God gave us food to enjoy in many ways, not just to sustain us. Otherwise, it'd be kind of one flavor, I think, that God would have made for us. Boring flavor. We also, the other reason, not just that we like food, but another reason that I think that something like fasting could kind of make us step back if we haven't practiced it, is that we, uh, in our culture, significantly avoid pain and discomfort, right? We want to be comfortable, and we want to avoid pain at all costs far too often. And yet, if you put on the other hand that we marvel at athletes who leave it all on the field, who put in their all, who train, and who, who really put in effort. And in some cases, like Olympic athletes who haven't eaten dessert for years or something like that, and they've eaten very strict diets, we, we recognize 
the effort that they put in, we really think it's amazing the results that they get. Sometimes we even want similar kinds of results uh, when we go to the gym or that kind of thing. We want to lose weight and those sorts of things, but we don't want to put up with the discomfort, right? We try and avoid that in our culture. It affects us all. And so, like I said, I'm not going to challenge you to fast this week. I'm going to challenge you to pray this week. That's going to be our challenge when we get down to it. But let me just hang with me as we get to the scriptures in just a moment. Um, There are some physical benefits that studies are showing to fasting. And I'm not a doctor, and I'm not suggesting that the studies all say that all these are bona fide or anything like that. But just some of the studies are showing that it aids in losing weight. I don't think that's actually needing much study. If you don't eat, you're going to lose weight is the long and short of it for a period of time. It increases brain function is what some of the studies are showing. It may help with insulin regulation, particularly helping those who are diabetic. Uh, It may improve blood pressure and cholesterol levels. It can reduce inflammation. It can improve your clarity of thought, not just your brain function, but you think more clearly. And in studies on mice, I found this very interesting when I was researching this. uh, In some studies on mice, it extended their life. It doubled the life of some mice that fasted from two years to four years. Now, there's no study that says that it will double your life but it can extend life. That's what the studies seem to show. Here's the deal. The jury's out on some of this stuff. The studies still go on. I'm not a doctor. I'm actually less concerned about those things. I will tell you, though, it does make you feel better mentally and physically when you do fast. I have, over the past about four years, uh, in different ways, done practices of fasting to kind of experiment, uh, whether a discipline of once a week, you know, for a meal or a couple meals or a day, or for a four-day period, or something like that. And I can tell you that whenever I've done it, it's increased my relationship with food in a positive way. I'm much more thoughtful about what I eat, why I eat, and when I eat. And especially more thoughtful about those moments when I'm hungry. I'm less irritable in those moments, and more focused in those moments. And I've had, I get a renewed sense of priority beyond the food in other spheres of life when I have done that, and it continues on beyond the fast. So the question is, I bring up those, those physical benefits, knowing, yeah, there's studies, you can read all that, Google it, you can have some fun with that this afternoon or this week, but if there are physical benefits to fasting, which I, I think is undoubtable that there are physical benefits, could there also be spiritual benefits? And that's actually my concern, my concern this morning. Why would we fast? What are the spiritual benefits? Well, ultimately, it's for a renewed or strengthened relationship with God the Father. That's what you have to keep in mind as we talk about this. That's why you would enter into this. You make a habit of giving up something good for something better, for a better relationship with God the Father. That's why you would do something, a discipline like fasting. And I want to look at three scriptures this morning. Ezra chapter 8 is going to be the first one if you're following at home. Uh, We'll look at verses 21 through 23. Then we'll look at Matthew 4. We'll look at both verses 1 and 2. I'll throw that in for free this morning. And then Acts 13, we'll actually look at 1 through 3 uh, on that one. As you're finding Ezra 8, I encourage you to find that at home. Uh, If we gave a simple definition to fasting, and this is the most vague but sort of in the spiritual camp definition I found, uh, it says fasting is the deliberate temporary abstention from food for religious reasons which tells you kind of what you're doing, but it doesn't really tell you anything about why. What are religious reasons? Why would you do that? You can understand that's abstention from food. You're not eating food. And we see in Scripture, uh, usually it's categorized as four different kinds of fasts that we can run over real quick. 
but it's actually three fasts and then one way of doing all three. So we'll see, and we'll see this this morning, a normal fast. Uh, Jesus practices this in Matthew 4, which we'll see in a little bit. That is abstaining from all solid food, but still drinking water for a period of time. We see also in Scripture, there is a partial fast. You might see this as a Daniel fast sometimes. Uh, And you see that in Daniel chapter 10, where there's an abstention from certain kinds of foods for a period of time, but not all foods. Then you see in the book of Esther, for instance, an absolute fast, where there's no drinking of food or water or no eating or drinking at all for a very short period of time. I'm not going to talk about this kind of fasting through the course of this sermon series because this is not a type of fasting that I think we need to engage in. Um, I don't think scripture commands us to do this with any regularity. Um, So know that it's there. It's not what we're talking about. And then there's a fourth way, which is really how you would do any of these, which is either privately or corporately. And you'll see both today and the coming weeks. That is one of the most important fast days in ancient Israel that you see in the Old Testament is the Day of Atonement, uh, where they would actually fast as they atoned for their sins to make one with God again, the relationship, and fasting was a part of the way of confessing that, to sort of clear out and recognize in you what was wrong so you have total humility before God and can lay those before God with total clarity of mind and body. Uh, you see that in days of national emergency, you see that in Second Chronicles chapter 20, or you see it, as we'll see in Ezra in just a moment, uh, where they're seeking national clarity as a people, done corporately. So let's go to that Ezra text first. In Ezra chapter 8, you see that fasting is a response to God's work. Why fasting? Fasting is a response to God's work. That, that is typically what fasting is doing. You're responding to God not trying to conjure up something out of God. You're responding to God's work that's already in action. So when we enter into Ezra 8, what's happened up until this point is that God's people, who had been Israel and Judah, two separate kingdoms, they had broken into two out of those 12 tribes. Northern kingdom of Israel had been exiled after they had been conquered. And in 587 BC, the southern kingdom of Judah, and specifically the city of Jerusalem, had been conquered and exiled. The temple had been destroyed, and for a generation, that group of people was in exile in Babylon. And then finally, they're released to come back home, at least in limited numbers, to set things up again. There's this slow return as this next generation comes online to come rebuild the temple They're given permission to do that, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And in the midst of that, they read the law again to recognize how they're supposed to act before the Lord. And there's some fasting that goes along with that. And in a sense, you can consider they're they're responding to God's work because there's no sense in which you would rebuild, essentially, God's city to surround yourself around God's temple where the work of atonement is done and where God's presence is. If you're not going to follow the law and if you're not going to be serious about doing it, that's what they're doing. And in Ezra 8, they're serious about even relying on God to make the journey back first and foremost. So in Ezra 8, 21 through 23, we read this. It says, There by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast, so that we might humble ourselves. Pay attention to that. So that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask Him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him. 
but his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. See, they're responding to God in this text and God's work. He's allowing them to go back to the land. They need to rely on God, and they're, they're fasting so that their mind and body is clear to actually rely on God is what they're doing. They're calling on the Lord in prayer so they can hear from him through and through. And you notice that key word in there is humility. And I think this tells us a lot about what fasting is doing. They didn't just humble their mind before the Lord. They humbled their body before the Lord. Because when you get down to it, worship of our God is not simply a mental exercise. It's a full body exercise to worship the living God. It's a significant response to a holy God to humble mind and body before him. They're responding to God's work already in action. Second way we see fasting, this will come from Matthew chapter 4, if you're following along. In Matthew chapter 4, uh, we see that fasting is a preparation for God's work. Seems like we're going in reverse order, but you can put these in any order. Fasting is a response, yes, but it's also a preparation for God's work. And here we run into Jesus after he's been baptized, but before his public ministry really begins. And he goes out into the desert. It says in Matthew 4, starting at verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Pay attention as you see this. Who was Jesus led into the wilderness by? Not the devil, but by the Spirit. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. One of the greatest understatements in Scripture. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I think he probably was. Now, it's not, some scholars are divided on if this was what we'd call a normal or a partial fast. And the reason they would be divided on that is because it's possible that while Jesus was in the desert, he was scrounging, sort of like John the Baptist would have been, for food. We're not supplied that information, so we just consider it a full normal fast. That Jesus was drinking water, probably not eating during that 40 days. Uh, if he did, it sure could have been scrounging. That would still be a pretty serious fast for 40 days. When it says Jesus was tempted, that's he was led in the spirit to be, uh, into the desert by the spirit to be tempted by the devil. The whole idea of this is a test, and that's a, a, a way to understand it most appropriately. Right? The temptation is actually secondary. That comes after the 40 days, at the end of those 40 days. But the testing period is going out into the wilderness, to be out in the wilderness. And what's happening in that test, God uses tests uh, really to confirm sort of as a final action what he's called someone to do or who he's called someone to be quite often. So you can see with Abraham and Isaac, when he's called to sacrifice his son Isaac, that's a test used in the same, same way here. And it really is a final confirmation. Abraham, your heart is fully and completely devoted to me. After everything we've been through, there's not even a question that you would follow me anywhere. Of course, I don't want you to sacrifice your son. I'll do that. Instead, I'll sacrifice my own. Jesus here is being tested and really his uh, call to be the Messiah is really being confirmed through this test. And sort of in these final moments when he's actually tempted then by the devil, uh, it shows that, that he's ready. In fact, he quotes scripture, that first temptation, and the devil asks him to make bread out of the stones because he's obviously hungry after 40 days. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8. 
And if we go to Deuteronomy 8, I'll read it for you. Verses uh, 2 and 3, this is when the people are coming, entering the promised land after being rescued from the exodus and wandering in the desert for 40 years from their own uh, unfaithfulness. In Deuteronomy 8, 2, it says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness for these 40 years. To humble, there's that word again, and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Both with Abraham and Isaac and that formative experience, with wandering in the desert for 40 years and being provided by the Lord with the food, even in your moments of hunger, for fasting for 40 days with Jesus and then being tempted and coming through all of that and passing the test, do you think those are formative experiences that people would forget? That's kind of what fasting does. They're formative experiences that allow us to step away, gain us perspective, and remember so that when we re-enter, we don't forget the lessons we've learned. Right? Our soul and our mind, everything about us was humbled before the Lord. And we remember who we are and who we belong to. I think we get this pretty easily. We gain perspective when we step away. Just a couple years ago in 2018, I took a four-day retreat in Oregon to a Benedictine retreat center. And while I was there, I fasted for most of that time and prayed. And I fasted on behalf of being a pastor here and the First Covenant um, and prayed. And that was a formative time for me. That was really one of the first times in my sort of professional pastoral life that I'd taken that kind of concerted effort for that long to fast and pray. And I was, I was really thankful for what a formative experience it was. It still affects me to this day to simply have done that and gone through that and listened to the Lord in that way. And when I re-entered, I had new and renewed perspective for the work ahead. We get this. We take vacations. Why do we take vacations? One, because we want to get away, but two, it gives us perspective when we re-enter again. We get to leave our normal circumstances, enjoy a different way of being, and then come back into life again, and we have a different perspective often. Why does God give Sabbath? Same reason. To take a day of rest so you recognize what God's done and what God's given, and you look ahead to what God's going to do, and you recognize and worship God for that. We gain perspective when we, when we make those changes in life. Even on a small scale, you know, pre-COVID, when I would be stumped in my office, you know, thinking through things and, and uh, trying to figure out uh, how to finish a sermon or how to do this or that or write a letter or whatever I needed to do that particular moment, uh, sometimes I would just leave and go to a different place, a coffee shop or something, because there's clarity of mind with a change of space. And that's what's going on in fasting. Clarity of mind and body as we humble it before the Lord and listen to him. And that leads us to the third thing that I want to point out this morning. So we've said fasting is a response to God's work. Fasting is a preparation for God's work. And the third thing I would point out this morning is fasting is a path, opens a path to hear God clearly. And here we can go to Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Fasting opens a path to hear God clearly. If we look at Acts 13, starting at verse 1, it says, Now the church at Antioch, uh, in the church in, at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, 
Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. What's happened in the early church up until this point? They're in Antioch, but, but prior to this, we've been getting the story in Jerusalem where everybody has been worshiping, where this emerging uh, group called the Way that were pretty much just Jews who had received Jesus and realized he was the Messiah, it was expanding into Gentile territory, but very slowly because it was mostly a Jewish expansion of recognizing Jesus, yes, is the one we've been waiting for. But then Stephen is martyred. And once Stephen is martyred, the church spreads because there's a persecution that breaks out. So they leave Jerusalem because of a crisis that goes on. And they end up in places like Antioch and around the area. And so you get this whole group of people in Antioch that are beginning to reach Gentiles. And they have this whole group of people fasting and praying. Why are they fasting and praying? Well, simply put, the church in Antioch knew God was up to something. They just didn't know exactly what. So they fasted and prayed, looking for an answer. And i got to tell you, isn't this something that we all want? We want clarity from God. We, we want clarity. God, can you just give me the absolute simplest direction on what I'm supposed to do next in my life with school, with work, with family, with marriage, with whatever it is. We want God to write down the detailed instructions for our life. Now, God has already called us to things that we should be responsive to. God's already called us to himself through Jesus Christ. We should be responsive to that. We don't need a second call for that or a more specific call. God has called us to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ through his Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. God has called us to take his message out. Those are calls that you and I all have on us. So let's not ignore that. But we also realize that when it comes to when we wake up at whatever time in the morning, we'd like a more specific plan quite often. I was having a conversation with somebody, not someone from this church, just a couple of months ago who w- was trying to discern some things in her life. Uh, we were talking on the phone and, um, you know, some stuff that, that I, I was involved in. And I said, you know what, as we we're discussing, she said, I really just wish God would just send a skywriting plane up in the air and just write the message of what I'm supposed to do next, right there in the sky. And I said, yeah, that would be wonderful. But I can just tell you right now, God's discerning something right now in our conversation. I can tell that you should be going this way and not this way. Like God does that. God gives us some direction, but a lot of us want that specific set of directions and instructions. God, just give me the next steps, please. That's why they're fasting and praying. They want those specific next steps. And frankly, if I may put it this way, If we want those next steps so badly, it strikes me as fascinating why we don't pray and fast more. Because those things bring us closer to the answers on those things. So the church in Antioch, they're praying because they knew God was up to something. But if you notice the detail, and this is the kind of thing that sometimes we skip over because there's a bunch of names there and that kind of thing. But if we notice the detail, they were gifted with resources. God's got these prophets. God's got these people who are gifted at taking out his message. Prophets and teachers, it says, 
and they're fasting and praying because they want direction. They know God is up to something, and they know they've been gifted with the resources to do whatever God's called them to do. And so they say, we want those two things to meet together. And guess what? God has done that in his church, in local church settings, all through time, ours included, that we have the gifts and resources available. We just need to call on the Lord appropriately to know how to use those with regular discipline and care and even sometimes fasting and praying. The challenge through the whole sermon series is really to make a habit to give up something good for something better so you have a better relationship, an improved relationship with God the Father. Clarity in hearing Him and clarity in doing His will because we've been gifted to do His will. Fasting is not magical. It's not like a genie in a bottle kind of thing. And I'm not proposing that we make a full church program of fasting. I won't propose that, although I do have one day that I'll challenge us to fast later on in the calendar year. I'm going to ask you to just make a discipline to try and see what you want to give up over time. It almost seems like pre-Lent stuff so that you can have a better relationship with the Father. What's the challenge for this week, though? The challenge for this week isn't to fast. The challenge for this week is to learn to listen better to God, to set aside time. We talked about time at the beginning. What's your favorite time of day? And as you wrote that down, set aside time to listen to God so that you can hear even this week, what is it, God, that you need me to change so that I have an improved relationship with you? What does it need to be, what things have you already done even that you need me to be responsive to so that I can be more responsive and close to you? Sometimes we treat the idle time that we have in our life uh, as time to just skip through our phone and just kind of waste that time. You know, casual games are fun on your phone or whatever you're doing, but sometimes that idle time can be more than just idle time. This week, as I went in and had a little procedure on my face, which I was not looking forward to, uh, at a certain point before they did all the numbing and preparation and everything, everybody had left the room, and I'm laying on an exam table, and I don't have my phone, I don't have my keys, I don't have anything in my pockets or anything. It's all off to the side. I got about five minutes of silence. I prayed. I listened for five minutes. That's what I'm asking you to do this week. Find those times, even whether they surprise you, but certainly schedule in those times this week to ask God. If you're feeling distant, ask God, where are you? I want to experience you. If you sense a change coming on the horizon, say, God, I want to be responsive to what you're doing in this change. I don't know what's going to happen, but let me be attuned to you so I can follow you as I go through whatever may come. If you feel like your time or energy is misprioritized, take time this week to listen and say, God, I don't know what to do with this time help me. I'll talk about the mechanics of fasting next week because I do think it's a valuable, uh, a valuable discipline. I've practiced it in different ways. I wouldn't bring it to you if I hadn't. This week, I want you to consider your why. What is God up to? What are you responding to with God? With that in mind, let's go to the table this morning together.